please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis, the book of Genesis, chapter 4. Genesis, uh, chapter 4, and in a moment we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 15 of Genesis, chapter 4. This Sabbath day, we will be returning to our new series, which we began two weeks ago, Essentials of a Healthy Church. Now in this series, the whole point of this series is not that this is the difference between a true church and a false church. This is really the difference between a healthy, growing church close to the Lord versus one that may be struggling in areas And any of the topics we deal with in this series are going to be points that every single church on this earth will need to work on. Every single person, myself included. Two weeks ago, we looked at the topic of worship. And this topic we're going to look at here this morning in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 15, looking at Cain and Abel. These two examples that are repeated throughout the Bible. Um, really deals with that topic of worship. Two weeks ago, we looked at the deaths of Nadab and Abihu. And Nadab and Abihu, how did they die? They died because they offered in worship that which is not commanded. And there's the principle throughout the scriptures, uh, which is also in the second commandment. We are not to come before God with our own innovations in worship. And they died by fire. And this issue of worship is really something that is vital to the health of the church because the health of the church really is determined upon a relationship with God and for the glory of God. This also ties in with last week as well. Uh, Last week in 1 John, we looked at Cain and Abel. Actually, Cain and Abel were brought out as an example in the midst of chapter 3 of First John. And the last two sermons mention Cain and Abel. And Cain is that example of a murderer who hated his brother. And it was dealing with Christian love. So these last two sermons really tie in very closely with this topic we're going to be looking at this morning. And it is worshipping by faith. Worshipping by faith. Now, as we said, Cain was remembered and is remembered as a bad example in Scripture, wasn't he? And Abel is remembered as a very good example in Scripture. I wonder, do the boys and girls who are here this morning, I wonder, do you have good friends? I hope you do have good friends. I hope you don't have bad friends. But if you have good friends and if you've got good examples around you, do you know what you should do? Shouldn't you learn from their good example? If you see your good friend doing something good, isn't it a good idea to say, you know what, he's doing something good there. I need to learn from that boy or from that girl. Or maybe somebody older who's a good example for you. Learn from them. Learn how to do right. Learn how to do good. But what about bad examples? Bad examples. Maybe you have somebody in your school and he's a bad example. Maybe he or she is not very uh, polite or kind to the teacher. Should you copy their example? Mm, Should you copy the bad examples you see around you? 
No. No. They may be trying to be funny. They may be trying to be, make everybody in the class laugh. But should you follow their bad and their rude example? But everyone as well, you can learn from bad examples. Now what do we mean by that? You can learn from a bad example. What not to do. What not to do. Or put it in another way, the dangers of doing the wrong thing. So in Abel, we see a really good example. And we think, hmm, here's someone we should, in some ways, imitate as he follows God. He gives thanksgiving to God, as we'll see in a moment as we read this passage. But Cain, we see a really bad example. And we can also learn from Cain of what way not to go. Of the dangers of worshipping God without faith. It really teaches us that our heart matters in worship. Not just the materials we give to God. Not just what we offer. But without faith, our worship is mere external hypocrisy. Like Cain. And this morning, we're either in one or two camps. Either we are like Abel, a good example, coming to God by faith. Or we're like Cain, not as the people of God, not receiving the blessings of Almighty God. So let us hear now from God's holy and his infallible word as we read now Genesis chapter 4, reading from verses 1 to 15. Let us hear God's holy and his infallible word. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. 
I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word. What do we think of when we think of the word worship? When we think of the word worship, what comes into our minds? Or even the thought of true worship. I think many of us maybe realize that much of our views of worship are shaped by our culture. Or even by what we want. Rather than what God himself Once, If you gave a blank page out to most people who attend church across Northern Ireland or across this island and and said, write down what do you think is true worship, most likely you'd get very different answers depending on where you would go. Our views of worship, whatever they may be, must be shaped by scripture, not the culture. Not the culture in Northern Ireland or our own preferences even. But there's one thing that this text teaches us about an offering before God and about worship before God. And it is this, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without a love for God in our approach before God, it is impossible to please God. God. Now what does that look like? What does it look like to worship by faith or even to live by faith? Well, if we're worshipping by faith, we have a life. A life lived out consistent with our profession of faith. Our own terms of membership of part of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Ireland. We, everybody who comes into membership promises this. I promise that by the help of the Holy Spirit, I will endeavor to live a life consistent with my profession. Now what is this promise in other words? Anybody who comes into membership says, I will not live a life that denies Christ. It's another way of saying it. I will not live a life that if somebody examined the fruit of my life, it would really think, well, they're denying Christ. No, it is not perfection that this is seeking for. None of us can attain to perfection. But that we will not live as a hypocrite or a lost religious or in an outward sense being merely religious in an outward way like Cain. You could even say in that term of membership that you'll follow the the example of Abel and not the example of Cain. How ought we to live... Because, yes, life and worship, there's a distinction between them, but they are very much connected. Even in Isaiah chapter 1, their worship was largely rejected because of the hypocrisy of which they offered it in. And they brought it before God, and God hated it. How ought we to live in our lives a life similar to the first martyr of the Old Testament Church. We read about martyrs in the early church, Polycarp and other such men who died for the Christian faith. Abel, 
was such a man who died because he lived a life consistent with his profession of faith. He walked by faith. And his worship, his offering was acceptable before God because of it. So number one, what we're going to look at here this morning, number one is the family. The family. It's important that we understand the context of what happened between Cain and Abel. Verses 1 and 2 of our text. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquainted or acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. We're not told much, if anything really, about Eve's attitude to Cain and Abel. But there are hints here in the names that were given. Cain, if you called your... The name Cain today would not probably be a a name that's got a nice... uh, When somebody thinks of the name Cain, it doesn't bring happy thoughts. And if you called your child Abel, it would sound wonderful today. But what did the word Cain mean? Cain, in in the Hebrew, actually, it's got this sense of acquired. And it's it's very similar to the word that Eve uses here in verse 1. I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now, what does she mean by that? Now, you have to remember, this is right after the fall. This is right after Genesis 3, verse 15. The promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And she seems very excited about this. I have acquired a man from the Lord. Could this be the seed of the woman prophesied that would end our misery? Think about this. Adam and Eve both saw the blessings of Eden. And you know when you know better days and you can compare with better days. It's pretty miserable what they're going through now. Could this be the one I've acquired? So she seems very excited about Cain. But what about Abel? What does the word Abel mean? Abel literally means vapor, vanity, or even emptiness. In the book of Ecclesiastes, when it says vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Hevel, that's the word Abel. It's very, very similar to the word Abel. It's pretty much the same word. So Cain is acquired from the Lord. Abel is emptiness, vapor, even frustration. It's very interesting, isn't it? It almost seemed like the way these two were named, that she was excited about Cain, but Abel was a bit of an afterthought. And generally in the ancient world, the firstborn was the most important. Here is your best. Even the firstborn of the animals was very, very important. Not much hope was given for Abel, if the names have anything to tell us. Both these boys, now men, were raised in the same home. They knew of the promise of the seed. They knew of this expectation to come. They were most likely raised with the same teaching. They had the, they had the gospel. Yes, they were fallen. But this was the visible expression of the church. You had 
their parents, Abel, uh, you had uh, Adam and Eve, and Cain and Abel. And within this church, something horrific happens. One member of the church kills another. Now, could you imagine if that happened today? This is horrendous, what, is, what happens. What does God do when, when the godly line of Abel is, is removed? Well, he graciously gives another child to Adam and Eve, Seth. And it says in verses 25 and 26 of Genesis chapter 4, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And the godly line, the, the continuation of that godly seed continues. Now the family, as any family have to do, they have to feed themselves. You have jobs, both Cain and Abel. They had jobs. Abel was a keeper of sheep. And Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now there's no indication from the text that it's like Abel had a great job and Cain had a terrible one. There's no indication about that from scripture at all. They had both had jobs. They had skills and talents that they used. And they were blessed by this portion from Almighty God. And what did they do? With a portion of what they got from God, they brought it as part of an offering or worship, thanksgiving to God for he and he alone had done. It says in verse 3, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. In the process of time. Literally in the Hebrew it's at the end of days. It's like an, an expiration of a certain amount of days. Most likely the Sabbath day. And they bring a portion of their earnings before God. In giving thanks to him. And part of the worship before him. Even at this early stage. So we've looked at the family and some of the background here. Now number two we're going to look at the fragrance. The fragrance. One is a wonderful aroma before God. A pleasant, sweet-smelling savor. The other is rejected and is a stench before God. It says in verses 3 to 5 of our text, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. And he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. What was the difference? What was the difference between the offering of Cain and the offering of of Abel. Well, very, very simply, Cain's was not pleasing before God. Abel's was. But we have to ask ourselves why. It does not appear that it's the contents of what they offered. Both of them were giving of their occupation, their job. They gave a portion of what they had earned in their work. You have to remember, this is a long time before you had currencies or money or anything else like that. And they brought before God. What is a gift? It says offering in our English translation here, but it could also be translated a gift. Uh, The Hebrew word mincha has the idea of a tribute or a gift. 
And throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, whenever this word is used, it's usually with the sense of a grain offering. It's actually a different Hebrew word that is used for something like the Passover sacrifice. So this is really about offerings given in thanksgiving to God. In thanksgiving to God rather than the sin offering that would come later. In worship there are different elements as there, are, as there is in our own church here in the New Testament era. It says in our own testimony... The giving of tithes and offerings is an appointed and fitting part of congregational worship. God requires his people to give a portion of their substance to God. Very, very similar to what Cain and Abel did here. So we're still asking the question, what's the problem? Uh, Cain seemed to do that, didn't he? And Abel both did this, at least outwardly. Isn't that interesting? If you just examined it outwardly, you wouldn't think there was any problem. Even Cain is shocked that there's any problem at all with his offering. For human eyes, everything looks okay. But is it? One offering is pleasing before God. The other is a stench and rejected. And the key thing is here, for us as a church here in 2023, when it is common for many still to come to church, perhaps of no fruit of, if you examined their six days of the week, they, they act and live like pagans. They believe like pagans, but they come to offer before God on the Sabbath day. Are they all accepted before God? And dear friends, to ask yourself the question here this morning. Outwardly, from human eyes, our offerings before God may look identical. But God knows the heart. God knows the heart. It's not just about our giving, but it's our heart. God wants our hearts in worship. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 4, we read this earlier in our reading, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, being dead, still speaks. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Faith. Abel had faith. A life consistent. The evidence of that will be a life lived consistent with that profession of faith. In his heart, he had a love for God. But Cain, did he? No. And we learn very, very plainly in an outward way, he did not have a love for God. He came as a hypocrite. It's very interesting, actually, if you look at the text, it looks like Cain comes first. Verse 3, and in the process of time came to pass, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Perhaps he's the firstborn, and he gets, he's allowed to come first in giving his offering before God. All the hope and the expectations on this firstborn here. Because the firstborn very much carry the idea with the best of the best. He comes giving his offering. But what's interesting about Cain, he doesn't give his first fruits. He brings, it just says, the fruit of the ground. Abel's offering is a little different. Verse 4, Abel also brought the firstborn, isn't that very interesting, of his flock and of their fat. 
Abel is offering the best of what he has. He's not offering the leftovers or the little scraps here and there. He's giving his best to God. There's actually there's passages such as this in the book of Malachi. And, and it was forbidden for them to bring the lame and the sick animals to worship. But the people of Israel did. The people of Judah offered the lame and the sick. And it was an offense before God. They weren't offering the best before God. God gave Abel a job. He provided him with work. He provided him with sheep to look after, to probably to clothe his family with the skins that were provided for it, with food and other things as well. And out of that, a portion was given, and he comes and he thanks God. That's what it is. He's thanking God. And when we give our thanks, and as we offer our own offering before God as a portion of our own earnings... We have to remind ourselves, does God need our money? I know that the talk of money can often be a turnoff. But it's not really about money. Does God need our money? He does not need our money. He doesn't need a penny from us. We, We live in an age where we're far more abundantly rich than we were in previous generations. Much less of our portion of our income is given to missions and other things like that. It's not the church that is struggling, dear friends. It's the poor giver. The poor giver is the one who is struggling. God's church will continue on. It will advance. It will be victorious over its enemies under the feet of Christ. But you miss out on the blessings of giving to God. And I want to even emphasize this. In our offerings, as Cain and Abel come before God, these are given to God, not the church. I think, yes, in a sense, to the church, but we can often think, well, you know, if I like what the preacher's doing, I'll give it a little bit more. If I don't like what he's doing, maybe I won't come to some of the services. Maybe I won't give as much of my money. Friends, do not think that way. Our offerings are to God. They're to God. They're part of our worship. God does not need it. But what does he do in response to this? He blesses. Now, when you keep back from God, what happens? And you're giving. The Bible tells us we rob God, but you're also robbing yourself of blessing. It says in The book of Malachi, we mentioned Malachi earlier. Malachi 3, verses 8 to 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open For you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So not only are they robbing themselves of the blessings from God, they're actually robbing God as well. You see, everything God has given us belongs really to God. It's not really about money. It's not about money, friends. 
The danger is we can act as a church, we can start acting like a business. We're a church of the living God. This is about our attitude and our, and our relationship with God. Because without this faith in worship, dear friends, disaster follows. It, disaster followed with Cain, and disaster will follow with us if we do not have this faith in our worship before God. So that it is a fragrance, a blessed fragrance before God rather than a stench. So we've looked at the family, we've looked at the fragrance. Now at number four, or number three, sorry, we're going to look at the fruit. The fruit. Cain is corrected by God. Cain is corrected by God. And Cain is not happy. If you notice there in our text, he is not happy. It says in verse 6, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? In previous verses says he was angry and his countenance fell. Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And his desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. Is Cain ex- expecting his offering to be rejected before God? Not at all. He is in shock. He's furious. God tells him, if you do well, if there's, basically, if, if, you, if your life is con- lived consistent, it's really if you have faith in him, there will be a, a fruits to show that faith. The life of faith is brought into evidence before Cain. Uh, the life of, the lack of fruit in Cain's life is used as an evidence. You know, like how um, you go to court and the prosecutor will give the evidence against the person. Well, he, God is giving that evidence against him. If he does well, how? By faith. A humble heart before God. Seeing that it's only through this promised seed, the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent, that there is any acceptance. You see, friends, yes, our worship matters, how our, our attitude is here as we come before God, but how we live for the other six days of the week, or even the rest of the Sabbath day, is also important. There is a connection. They are separate from each other, they're distinct, but there is a connection between the two. Because we know deep down that this is the case, don't we? If we live like the world the rest of the week, what should God think of our offering? Maybe the greatest amount of money ever given to the church, but without faith is it accepted before God. How about our praise, the praise of our lips, another element of worship. Is that accepted before God? If we were to learn that our offering is not looked upon by God positively, how would we react? How would we react? Would we seek to repent? Seeking to be corrected by God? Or would we think, how dare you God? Look at all the effort I've put into this. We forget who we are 
at those moments. Cain has forgotten who he is. He's angry with God. And he's not just angry with God. We'll find out later. He's angry with his brother who offers his offering by faith. Will we learn from God? The fruit of hypocritical worship is seen in the first earliest stages of the, the Old Testament church. And this is an Old Testament church where church simply means an assembly. Division. Heartless worship will cause division in the body of Christ because it will be lived out in a lack of love for your brother in Christ. The hypocrite who is like Cain only loves himself. He thinks that what he's offering is fine, no problem. Hey, the problem is not me. The problem is Abel. Look at him. One of the fruits, and we saw this in 1 John, one of the fruits of a false convert is a hatred for that which is righteous, or even a hatred for the person who does that which is righteous. And we see this in the life of Cain, verses 8 and 9 and 10. Now Cain talked with, his, with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And I think we need to pause for a second and get the horror of that. Flesh and blood rising against each other. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? God knows where he is, doesn't he? Again, much like in the courtroom, the the prosecutor says, Where were you on the night of the murder? They may know exactly where he was. God knows exactly what he has done. Will he admit to it? Will he own up to it? Verse 11. Sorry, verse 9. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God knew exactly where he was. Verse 10. And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So not only has sin driven him to hatred of his own brother. He also thinks he can somehow hide his sin from God. Our sin does the same thing, friends. We think that there's some place everybody else doesn't know. And we can hide our sin. But God knows our sin. He 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 sees you when you're in that private place. He sees you when you're clicking on that website page. He sees everything. He sees your thoughts. First John chapter 3, verse 12, it says, And why did he murder him? That's Cain. Because his works were evil and his brother is righteous. But that seems so simple. But that's his heart. Cain hated what Abel did. He hated that his offering was not accepted. And he hated that Abel's was. Cain was jealous that God's love and blessings was upon Abel. And ultimately think about this. Abel dies for his faith. We ultimately think about you know, the, the, the famous people in history. You, know, you think about Martin Luther standing before men saying, Here I stand, I can do no other. Okay, and we should think about those men. Standing for the faith. But Abel stood for the faith as well. And he dies for his faith. Because he loved not his life to the death. It says in Revelation 12 verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. 
There's a warning in scripture to the hypocrite who brings false worship from a lifeless heart. If you love this life, if this life is your reward, if this life is your hope, and you're storing up more and more in this world the treasures of this world, and that is your treasure, that is your reward. But if you love not your life and you're willing to give it all up because your great reward is God, Him, Him alone, then your reward is God in heaven. Because if this world is your reward, this world will end. This world will end. The fruit we can see so clearly as things pan out between Cain and Abel and sin blindness. Cain thinks God cannot see his guilt. Absolute nonsense. And do not think for a second, dear friends, that God cannot see yours. And I'm not saying we all sin, but come to God for forgiveness. You don't have to come and profess it openly. It depends on the nature of the sin. But ask God for forgiveness. Keep short accounts with God. He sees all. Our final point, number four, is the foreigner. The foreigner. So we've looked at the family, the fragrance, the fruit. Now the foreigner. What does Cain face because of the sin of murder? He's driven from the presence of God's blessings. And he departs from the presence of God's blessings. Why? Because of unbelief. He comes into the presence of God in unbelief. With a heart that is a heart of stone rather than a heart of flesh. It all started with such excitement. Eve says in verse 1, remind ourselves, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Oh, here's Abel. But it started off with such expectation and excitement at the beginning. And is driven from his livelihood. Verses 12, verse 12 onwards. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. You see the, the curse that happens. The blood of Abel goes into the earth and no longer will the earth be that fruitful place that it once was for Cain. He, he, got, he made his living from the earth. Remember that? He was a tiller of the ground. He had, he had the fruit from the ground. God cursed even that. That which he brought. And the ground became barren to him. What happens, you know, if you're a farmer and you're going around and you go from one field and it doesn't produce any crops. Well, you can't stay in that field. You've got to go to the next place and then in the next place. So out of the lack of fruit or the barren fruit, you could say, in the life of Cain, he's driven away from the blessings he once enjoyed. No longer would he prosper in his work of what he'd done. He must wander. A place of no rest. No home. He is a foreigner in a place that he once called home. It it no longer yields the fruit it once did. With the prospect of people seeking revenge for what he did. Because you think about it, right? There weren't that many people living on the earth at that time, were there? And Cain's worried about this. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. Now he's devastated, clearly. I shall be hidden from your face. Do you see how he's devastated? 
not because of what he did, because of the blessings he was going to be removed from. He still had not repented. He still had not said, oh Lord, oh Lord, I have sinned, forgive me. There's no sense of that here. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And, I will be, and it will happen that anyone will find me, will kill me. Just see, Cain still thinks about his own self-preservation. He's not thinking about the God he's dishonored with his offering. He's not thinking about the God he's dishonored by killing his own brother. He's thinking, oh, come on, I'm, I, I can't survive this way. If you do well, God says in verse 7, will it not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. In the original language, verse 7 there, sin is almost like crouching at the door, ready to pounce. What does God say in the midst of the sin that is ready to pounce? And its desire is for you. And dear friends, it's the same for you this morning as well. Its desire is It's not just outside. Sin is not just outside the door of this church building. It's in our hearts. We all struggle. His desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. Do not be mastered, dear friends, by your sin. If you're mastered by your sin and sin rules over you, there's trouble. But if you rule over it, putting it to death, That is the example of Abel. Abel had a home. Abel was dead by this point, but Abel had a home. Abel had a home. Abel lost his life for the faith, but Abel had a home. He wasn't a foreigner. He was a fellow citizen. He's enjoying heaven today, and he will enjoy it forever and ever. That eternity put in his heart. We have, all of us, have eternity placed in our hearts. And we will not find rest until we find God. Augustine once said this, You have made us for yourself, O O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Cain was restless, and the curse got worse, and he's driven everywhere. He never seeks God. God puts a mark on Cain. Why? Why does, why does God in verse 15 put a mark on Cain? He preserves life, doesn't he? He gives, he shows to Cain grace and mercy he does not deserve. And not even grace and mercy he is seeking out for. He was of the wicked one and he still got less than he deserved at that point. So it is with each of us here. God has kept us alive up until this point. And if we've come by faith with a love for God, imperfect though it may be, God accepts it through Jesus Christ. That worship which we offer before God. Whether that be our our tithes and offerings, whether that be the praise of our lips, whether that be here listening to the preaching, whether that be the benediction at the end of the service, whatever it is, or listening to to the word being read, if it is by faith, it is received in Jesus Christ. Not because of our own works. But perhaps you're here this morning and you don't have faith. 
God has shown you mercy up until this point. Dear friends, do not go out of this building without trusting in Jesus. Do not leave here. And say, how do you know he's been merciful to me? Because you're still alive. God preserved the life of Cain for a period of time. He will preserve your life for a period of time. And then the mercy and the patience of God will run out. Look to him. Look to Jesus. Come then by faith to worship him. For that is truly accepted before him. And he will bless you. But only in Jesus. And only by faith. And by faith in him. Amen.